0: Welcome to the Joy Thrill Ride of Story Story Night, where you hear true stories on a theme recorded live on a stage without notes. I'm the slammer that just missed sharing my story, Susan Early. And on this podcast, we're going to make you run for it. It's the slam from the third show in our action theme season, Run! held on January 31st, 2017 at Jump, downtown Boise. During the slam, we randomly draw names from a lunchbox filled with healthy foods in honor of our show sponsor, Sage Yoga and Wellness. And the brave few got up to run on our stage for a five minute story, except me. I was the last name. I just got up to come up and read this intro. This is just my luck as it runs, but hey, it's story time. And the story you're not going to hear was about how I left New York to move to Boston because my husband left me for a woman from Boise, Iowa.
1: Unless there's another Amanda, you're on your way to the stage.
2: So I guess I got here late and my name was right on the top or something. Um, So this is a story about running, also about bad judgment, and the time I smoked a cigarette with the devil. So I just graduated from high school, and I got a job working at a coffee shop, and I met a woman named Janelle. And she would become a good friend of mine. And Janelle was really peppy and enthusiastic. Of course, she was a morning person. And Janelle was a runner, and she was always trying to recruit me to go running with her. And I was like, yeah, I'm pretty uncoordinated, I don't think that's a good idea. And she said, oh, Amanda, it's so easy. You just put one foot in front of the other. It's the easiest sport. That's why I love it. Uh, I said, I don't know, you know, I'm a smoker and I'm really unathletic. And I was the kind of girl who would like walk all four laps of the mile, like flipping off the PE teacher in my head. <laughs> and she was like, no, it's so much fun. You get like a runner's high and I'm signed up for this race. and..." It's so much fun, because at the end, there's like kegs and live music, and people are dancing in the park, and I was like, oh, what? Kegs? Because what I wanted to do as an underage person was drink a bunch of beer and hang out with cool people in the park. So I signed up, and we started training, and she made me this mixtape that had a lot of like, Dave Matthews band in it to keep me motivated. <laughs> More bad judgment. and. And it's race day and there's like three blocks of people getting ready to run this race. And in the front are um, really athletic, serious people like stretching and warming up and they're wearing spandex. And Janelle and I are way in the back and we have these homemade t-shirts on that say, we'll run for beer. (laughs) And so we start running and it's fun at first because you're running through neighborhoods and people are cheering for you. And then it starts to get pretty hard because I had signed up to run Roby Creek. (laughs) Okay, I was wondering if anybody here knew of what that race was. <laughs> so in case you don't know, it's a half marathon and the first 13 miles are straight uphill, like into the pine trees. If you're driving to Idaho City, you'll see a turn off for Ruby Creek halfway up there, just to give you an idea of how stupid far this race is. So I think it was probably around mile five, I was like, Janelle, you go ahead. I'm, I'm gonna walk this lap and like flip you off in my head. And I come across Somewhere in the pine trees, this couch and a table. And there's like bottles of booze on the table and there's cigars and cigarettes. And I I sit down and I smoke a cigarette on the couch. And the devil's there and he's like, Amanda, you should probably just turn around and go back. And I'm like, yeah, I'm thinking about that devil. I don't don't know about this race. He's like, yeah, you're not going to make it. Just go home. Just go home right now. You can't do it. And there's always been something about somebody telling me I can't do something makes me really motivated to do it. So I put my cigarette out and I kept going and I get to the crest and I think, oh, thank you. Like, I know I'm more than halfway. I know it's just five miles to the end and it's all downhill. But what I didn't realize is downhill running is harder. And so my joints are like clanging together and my muscles feel like they're made out of lead. And at some point I hear in my head Janelle's voice, just like one foot in front of the other, one foot in front of the other. And I finally finished the race two and a half hours later and I feel horrible. I'm dizzy, I'm vomiting, like the last thing I wanna do is drink a beer and go like dance in the park. <laughs> So I just pick up my shirt and I I pass out in the van on the way home. I think I ate an entire pound of spaghetti by myself that night and went to bed at like six o'clock. But I woke up the next day and I felt so incredibly proud of what I had accomplished that I put on my shoes and I went for a run. Thank you. Dan Stewart.
3: When I was nine, the summer I was nine, I spent a summer on grandmother's farm a long time ago in a land far away. Times that you almost don't want to remember. There were good things about grandmother's farm and there were some not so good things about grandmother's farm. The good thing was grandmother was there. The good thing about a farm is there's lots of food. The other good thing about a farm in those days was there was no money. There was no trips off the farm, you were there. But there were other people there. You see, I came from a family with two boys, me and my brother. But when I was on the farm, there were eight, eight boys, only four years between us. This made for lots of problems. Lots of running, a few fights, all the things you'd expect from eight boys that were more or less the same age and had a whole bunch of crazy ideas. Let me share with you three of those crazy ideas. Being a farm, grandmother was good at things like hatching eggs. She had a little box and you put the eggs in and you took care of them and they hatched out. It was predictable that what would hatch out of the egg was whatever started in the egg. And there was customers for egg results like Christmas time. And so in the summer, there were a lot of animals with wings. There were turkeys and there were geese and there were ducks. And grandmother's house was suited for this because the house was located with a fence around it. So there was about a two acre space around the house. And next to the house, there was a creek, which is great for ducks and geese, not so great for turkeys. And there were gates that you had to go through to get to the house. And these birds are territorial, and they know that it's their yard, and they know that you don't belong there, and you're invading their space. And you come to the gate, and they're on the other side of the gate. And when you're nine, those geese are the same size as I. (laughs) And there's about 40 of them all together and there's eight boys, and there's food in that house, and so you get a stick, and you, it's like a sword play, and you you go like this in front of you, and then you run, and it's only 100 feet, and you run one at a time, waving your stick, and you get there, and then the geese turn around, and they run back to the next person. I was always last. By that time, the geese were warmed up and ready to go, and they were running towards me, and I was the smallest, skinniest, youngest, littlest one, and I had the last stick, which was always the shortest stick. (laughs) Now you know why I can run. (laughs) And then it rained. And you know, geese and ducks and turkeys, food goes in and food goes out, and then it rained and there's a little terrain, a little slope that goes down to the creek. And there's eight boys and it's rained and it's slippery and you take your shoes off and you go for a run and you start at this side and you run across and just when you go over the brow of the hill, you take a little jump and it's just about like skiing. It's a little bit better than skiing because there's a nice splash at the end, and the creek is cold, and you get clean feet after you get out of the creek. (laughs) That also was a really good reason to run. We did not get in trouble for either of those behaviors. The next one we got in trouble for. You see, this farm was like most farms of that era. It had horses and cows and ducks and geese and all of that good stuff, but it also had pigs. Now the pigs, you see, they like to run. And they start little, and they grow through the summer, and by the time it's August, they're a good size. And if you're 9, 10, 12 years old, you know, it's it's tempting to go for a ride. (laughs) Have you seen a pig run? They run good, because they've got four feet. That makes them twice as fast as you and I. Well, they had about three acres for these pigs, and it was beside the barn, because sometimes they'd be in the barn, and sometimes they'd be out of the barn. But three acres for about a dozen or so pigs. Maybe there was even more than that, I don't remember. It wasn't very big, so they had, you know, muddy enough area. But next to the fence, there was the food trough, where you'd put the food in really didn't matter what you put in there. The sound is what mattered. Something goes in the food trough, and they come, boom, food. Almost as good as eight boys running for lunch in Grandma's house, because of the pigs running for the food in the food trough. And if you stood on the fence in the right spot, the pigs would come in the right way, and if you jumped just right, you could land on the pig. Not much to hang on to, but they have ears. They do not like it when you squeeze their ears. It is not a motorcycle, but that makes them run. Which is a lot of fun because there's water and there's mud and they're running around and around. But the problem is, you see, we were boys and this was a farm and there wasn't much money and they were not going to wash our clothes so we did not wear long pants like all of us grown-ups wear now. We wore short pants, and they didn't really want us wearing shoes and socks because they didn't want to have to clean the shoes and socks, so we were barefoot in short pants riding pigs. (laughs) Who were running, wonderful, except pigs eat a lot of greenery, but they're selective. They eat all the nice plants in the pig pen. The one plant they don't eat is thistles. And the thistles grow really well in the pig pen because it's well fertilized and well watered. And the pigs maintain little hallways that are just the right width for a pig and has no room for a rider. And both sides are thistles and everywhere you go, there's these awesome little marks and we go in for lunch and Grandma says, what have you been doing? Uh, Nothing, nothing, we've just been playing. No, 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 look at all your legs. What have you been doing? Nothing, nothing. No, no, we are just outside. No, that didn't win. Grandma knew. You've been playing in the pig pen. That's the only place there's thistles. That's the only place you'll get those marks on your legs. Don't ride the pigs again. (laughs) And apparently, we did. And they ran. Thank you.
1: I have this special bonus story. I'm really excited to bring up here these two young ladies who really ran with it. Uh, it's Colette Raptosh and Nora Herod.
4: OK, well, I want to start. My name is Colette Raptosh, and I'm a 16-year-old, a junior at Capitol High School.
5: And I- <laughs> I'm Nora. I am 18, and I'm a senior at Bora High School. Together, we are the founders of People for Unity, and we are the organizers of the Women's March, or run, on Idaho.
4: (laughs) When the polls first came in last November, Nora and I both sensed a huge feeling of disconnection in our community, and so we chose at that moment to start a rally called People for Unity, and we ran with it. (laughs) (laughs) So
5: to start off, (laughs) Colette and I had never done something like this before, so we really had no idea where to begin. I told my boyfriend that night, I was like, I don't know what's gonna happen, but this is gonna be big. (laughs) (laughs) So later that night,
4: Nora and I sat in her kitchen and we saw on our Facebook invite, 30 people were coming, and we were like, oh my gosh, only 30 people are coming.
5: (laughs) And so because we had a little bit of an ego, and we never done anything like this before, we decided if 50 people hadn't RSVP'd for the Unity Rally before the night before, that we would call it off and pretend nothing happened.
4: (laughs) So you can only imagine our faces, when only four days later, we were speaking in front of 500 people.
5: (laughs) (laughs) although this is nothing compared to our faces when we found ourselves a few months later speaking in front of 7,000 people. (laughs) (laughs) Nora's
4: right, we should probably talk about the Women's March on
5: Idaho. AKA the day of the snowpocalypse. (laughs) (laughs) Um. Seeing the positive impact Colette and I could make in just four days of organizing made it a really easy decision for us when we decided to take on the Women's March on Idaho. What we first did is we made a Facebook page and then kind of put our feelers out for people in our community that would help us take on this march that we were trying to put on. We really knew that
4: the march was going to be relevant in Idaho. If you look on the website of statusofwomen.org you'll find that Idaho ranks in the bottom five for social issues regarding women. And so within only two months, the group that Nora and I started, that was the two of us, grew to over 15 really passionate activists in Idaho.
5: And so in order to effectively organize this march, we split into subcommittees for speakers and logistics and things like that, and then Collette and I, being a little bit overly ambitious, signed up to be on every single one of these subcommittees. And a
4: lot of people, the most common question asked was, how did you keep up with this being in high school and doing AP classes and planning the march? So we wanted to act out for you a situation of how a class period would go. I'm the teacher.
5: Uh, Colette, I'm gonna need you to stop emailing in class or texting in class. I'm emailing a state representative. That's what they all say. I swear. (laughs) January 21st our phone abduction count for emailing in class was about 11 for each of us.
4: (laughs) But we're gonna fast forward a little bit and talk about January 21st the Women's March on Idaho when over 6,000 Idahoans showed up to support diversity and strength.
5: I wish you guys could have seen what Colette and I were able to see standing on top of the Capitol steps. It was just this incredible sight of hot pink pussy hats, colored, <laughs> colored umbrellas, and creative signs flowing in from every direction while we just have snowballs coming out of the sky. It was really incredible. You could look across the entire skyline and you would see storms of people
4: blocking off cars and
5: just filling the streets. And this was not even close to as powerful as it was to hear the chants echoing through, through downtown Boise and 8th Street.
4: Standing on a stage with so many people and Nora and I getting to lead chants with you know 6,000 people, it was the highlight of the day. Sure. But it was so amazing that going through this entire journey, I was able to hear so many inspirational stories about the reasons people were marching. And there was one that really stood out to me she was a fellow committee member, and every meeting she came to, she had her daughter on her back and like her papoose. And at the very first meeting, we were doing introductions and her story just stuck with me. And she said, I'm marching for my daughter so that when she is 16, she can go behind my back and get birth control. (laughs) And this story kept me going through the 24-hour days of planning and hard work, and it kept reminding me that I'm not just fighting this fight for myself or the people standing next to me. It's about the people that are also coming after me. And it helped me stay passionate and strong up until the day of the march and the following days after.
5: It's really important to note that organizing this march was not a walk in the park for me and Colette. We were forced to put ourselves in situations that we'd never been in before, and we developed a pretty thick skin. I had to work on this, especially. Um, I didn't love the moments where I had broken windshield wipers or someone would pass me and tell me that I'm a joke, but I'm grateful for these moments because they fire, they fuel my fire for powerful and worthwhile change in our state.
1: <laughs> Woo! <laughs> <laughs>
5: and I had to deal with some hate mail, again some car vandalism, and some slanderous uh, internet trolls. But I honestly wish I could tell them, look where we're standing today.
4: (laughs) You know what, Nora's completely right. I knew I was doing something big when I was told that my ancestors bombed Pearl Harbor. However, I was adopted from China. And I'm not in the slightest Japanese, so I really knew I was making a difference. <laughs> we really wanted to emphasize our need for our community to get involved. And so Nora and I are so happy to announce that we're actually continuing with the National March and their campaign called 10 Actions, 100 Days.
5: Yeah, so when we are organizing the march, we um, the National March organizers in Washington reached out to Colette and I and asked us to work with them and collaborate with them. (laughs) Which is really cool. (laughs) It was a wonderful experience and we want to stay in solidarity with them and so we are continuing with this campaign and this campaign is, its purpose is to get all citizens all over the country, I don't care who you are, (laughs) involved in your local, state and national government. And having your voice heard, where you feel passionate, and like, yeah. and so they release a new action every 10 days that everyone can do. And the one right now is sending letters to your government. We actually have an event going on right now at the Shangri-La Tea House, where the rest of our committee is, where other people in Boise are writing letters to the government that we will hand deliver um, later this month. Woo!
4: Yeah. <laughs> I think it's really important that as a whole, we keep moving forward and making changes because just going out and vote voting, it's no longer enough to create the change that you really should have the power to in our community.
5: And so I want to see you guys get involved. And you know what? Maybe one of these days you'll see Colette and I running for office. <laughs>
1: Curtis Neal, you get to get your greens!
6: All right, well, uh, switching gears. Um, when I was a senior in college, I decided to go on exchange to Ecuador. And after I'd been there for a few weekends, some of the other American exchange students and I decided to take a trip to the coast. And uh, we went out and <clears throat> probably stayed out to like 11 or 12. And they were responsible and um, decided to call it a night. But of course, I thought it was a good idea to stay out longer in a foreign country where I didn't really speak the language yet and didn't understand what was going on because what could possibly go wrong? And I do remember my program director saying before I ever left Idaho, don't drink too much alcohol because that's where you're really going to get into trouble. Otherwise you'll be fine. So the first opportunity I had, I drank too much alcohol and <laughs> stayed out by myself. But luckily I was out and we were in kind of this beach town and um, I met some locals and. One of the guys was I think about my age and he was kind of learning English and so we kind of made a connection and um I ended up staying out with him and and some of his friends and this turned into like a kind of a long excursion that lasted into two, three o'clock in the morning. And I just kind of and I'm getting drunker and drunker off of this weird liquor that they have. And um I do remember being on the beach and suddenly there's uh like other there's girls there and you know one of them's kind of taking an interest in me and seems like a good deal right I'm like haha I stayed out late and you Lamos went to bed and um so we're all having a good time I think there was a bonfire or something it's all very hazy but what I do remember is all of a sudden the mood just totally changed and I didn't understand what was going on but um, it got real quiet, and then people were looking real worried, and then all of a sudden, uh, these friends that I had made started um, shouting, corre, 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 which if you don't know, means run in Spanish, and I was like, run from what, you know? And, and they're looking at me, everybody, like 20 people telling me to corre. So I just started running, and I'm in this town, and I, I don't even know where I am. I'm just running down the street. <laughs> This is literally like the nightmares that you have, right? <laughs> like you're running, you don't know why, um, and I don't understand anything anybody's saying to me, but this is actually happening to me. And so I ran down the street and there was, from earlier in the day, I remember there was these little kind of markets um, where they sell little trinkets and things. and. Uh, those were all closed up for the night, and I kind of hid in one of those, because I'm, I'm being chased at this point, too. I forgot to mention that. I'm running, and I'm being chased. Um, and so I kind of hide in this little stall, and um, all of a sudden I feel this tap on my back, and I turn around, and um, this guy with a semi-automatic automatic weapon is, like, pointing it at me, because I guess, you know, that's how they protect their stuff there. Um, and I actually said, what the... Frick, muchacho, except I didn't say Frick. And they don't even use muchacho in Ecuador, that's, I think it's more of a Mexican word. So then I had to run from there. So I jump out of there and I kind of run back the direction I had been running and the group of people is there and so I just try to run by them. And I I run around this corner and um, they're all following me. And um, there's kind of this melee, and, and finally, the guy that I had met that I had kind of befriended earlier kind of got me out of it and got me back to my hostel. And I went to sleep not really ever knowing what the fuss was about. <laughs> um, <laughs> and I didn't understand what anybody was saying still at that point. So I went, like, next day, I went back to Quito, took the bus ride back, and you know, this was like the story I would tell. Like, I don't really know what it was all about. And, um, and then towards the end of my trip, um, I, I think I was there for nine months total. We went back to that same beach town, and um, by then I understood the language and you know had a better grasp on the culture in general. And I went to this beach bar, and the bartender was like, Yeah, I remember you. And I'm like, oh yeah, and he's like, there was a lot of running. There was kind of a fight, and uh, you got, oh, I got punched too, I forgot to mention that. He's like, you got punched? I'm like, oh yeah, yeah, that was me. And I was like, what was that all about anyway? And he's like, well, you were making out with that one dude's girlfriend. I'm like, oh, that's not so different from America. (laughs) You You don't do that, so. Thank you.
1: Thank you for listening. Story Story Night is brought to you by our Story Party, Bob Haycock, Amy Moran, Karis Kimball, Hannah Mae Schaefer, Karen Moore, and me, Jody Eichelberger, with big-time support from the Robert Rauschenberg Foundation. This project is supported by public funding for the arts through the Idaho Commission on the Arts, the Idaho Legislature, and the National Endowment for the Arts. We also receive support from the Boise Arts and History Department. Thank you to our media sponsor, Radio Boise, our season sponsor, Lunchbox Wax, and the Run show sponsor, Sage Yoga and Wellness. Podcast production is by Stephen Baldessari. Our theme song was composed by Dan Costello, and show photography is by Paul Budge. Our musical guest was Rippin' Brass. Shout out to our marketing guru and co-founder, Jessica Holmes. Support the story program, get tickets to our live show, and stay tuned at www.storystorynight.org or on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Story Story Night.